You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining me again. You're listening to Amphibicast. I'm your host, Andrew Bates, and tonight it is my honor to have Ivan, the president and founder of Tesoro State Columbia, on the show, and we're going to talk about everything that has gone into the creation of Tesoros. This is actually going to be a an ongoing series with multiple parts, and tonight we're going to talk about the past and what led to the creation of Tesoros and some of the challenges and obstacles that Ivan faced dealing with uh, many species of dart frog and how the legal imp- uh, the legal exportation into the United States uh, became a phenomenon. But uh, of course, before we do that, I want to thank everybody for the usual stuff. Thank you for the nice five-star reviews. Spot, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcast player. Great way to support the show is just leave a nice five-star review. Some kind words also goes a long way as well, too. And for everything else, follow the link tree in the show description. You'll get to the merch, sh- uh, the merch store if you want to get some cool stuff. I've got t-shirts and stickers and whatnot. And uh, you'll also find a link to Panamanian frog conservation. And you'll find a link to a uh, 10% discount off of any in-situ ecosystems vivariums just by being a listener of the show. If you make your link, if you make your purchase through that link, you'll automatically get 10% just for being a listener. And uh, that's about it. Uh, I am ready to get into it. Ivan, welcome. It is so glad. I'm so glad to have you on the show. How are you doing tonight? Hello. Hello, everybody. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm really good. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I um, I caught one of your talks a couple of years ago at American Frog Day 2022, and I've had quite a few listeners reach out, and they've they've been asking. They've been really excited to um, at the prospect of having you on, and I want to talk about your work. But um, I, I want to talk about everything that went into the the you know everything that has that has happened with Tesoros. But I was wondering if we could start off with a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you get into this? Like, how did you un- end up becoming involved with 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 frogs and, and amphibians in general? What was your um, what were some of your earliest experiences? Well, <clears throat> it's a long story. Uh, uh, since I was a kid in Colombia, I, I, I was born in Bogota um, 50 years ago. And uh, since I was a kid, I was very attracted to animals, wild animals. And uh, <clears throat> I started, you know, reading. My, my mother used to have a, a school. She was the, the director. And while the students were having classes, <clears throat> I was always very attracted to be, you know, uh, surrounded by uh, encyclopedias about wildlife and all, every every kind of information that that I could get about pictures and and the diversity of species, uh, uh, most of them vertebrates, and I used to, you know, start, uh, you know, memorizing when I started to read, memorizing um, scientific names and distribution. Uh, maps, stops, stuff like that, and I was really, really interested in in studying the the world's uh, wildlife. Uh, after I graduated from school, I went to the uh, animal science science department of La Salle University here in Bogota. I got my degree, and then I um, I started uh, working um, in several areas of wildlife management in Colombia. And uh, I, as as I grew up and as I get I got more information, I got to understand that in Colombia I, 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 there was a lot of threats towards the the conservation of a lot of species that were native or endemic 
And since then, I got uh, concerned about, you know, the future of the conservation of the of the biodiversity of my country. Because before that, I was, you know, in love of understanding the the, the situation globally. And since I became, you know, aware about the situation locally, I was really interested in in in, in get a formal education on that. So this is why I I, uh, I went to. Uh, the um, Taral Wildlife Conservation Trust Program of Management in Endangered Species in Jersey, U uh, United Kingdom, and I got the diploma that they they issued me uh, as the first Latin American that was able to get it from the Kent University because of my grades in there. Well, I was there, and uh, and I was really um interested in, in coming back to my country and do something that really you know was uh, uh, a practical solution for the conservation of of the species um i uh, i started you know being i became became a international consultant after the after being in in england i went to several countries in the world as a consultant, uh, working for for governments and international NGOs, uh, and of course, uh, when I became uh, when I became married, and I got my first daughter, I decided to uh, you know stop traveling a lot and and stay in Colombia. As as I was really really interested in you know be, you know being being close to my to my family. Mm, after that, I I stopped you know my international consultant career, and I started to think about the dreams that I had uh, several years before about you know making a contribution to my country in terms of understanding what it what was needed in order to change the people's attitudes and behaviors toward wildlife because the situation was was at that time was getting worse and um, in that moment I'm talking about uh, the first 2000s the first years of 2000s I I started to think that I could make a difference by understanding what was needed and I did it uh, creating in my mind Two different uh, projects that I had uh, that I had uh, been uh, interested uh, for several years. One of the projects was to breed and to get in the, all the, the necessary license to 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 deal with the uh, with the uh, international demand of amphibians. And the other one was to create a place in which I can uh, keep some of the animals that were seized by the or confiscated by the authorities, and do uh, and start an education program in order to to stop the overexploitation of these species locally. These two projects, finally, after you know more than fifteen years. Uh, uh, of of struggling and working, they are uh, they are real and they are working really really good right now. One is the Soros de Colombia, and the other one is La Reserva Biopark Foundation, which runs a theme park 
uh, that is visited by thousands of people uh, uh, and is located very close to the capital city of Colombia, which is Bogota. I want to get into that. And um, f first, I was wondering if you could tell us about the history of the animal trade in Colombia. What, what's, what's unique about the Colombian animal trade and what went into the history of it? Well, Colombia, Colombia is, is, is a tropical country with a lot of biodiversity, with a lot of, uh, it's, it, you know, the, the cultural uh, belief here is, is almost that the biodiversity will never, uh, will, will never become extinct because it's so rich that the, that the locals will think that everything is, is 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 usable without having in mind any kind of sustainability. This is the kind of culture that this this very very rich uh, countries in terms of biodiversity have, and it is because it's not important because it's, if you have a, if you have any any need you can get it from the forest or from the any ecosystem. This is how the culture is was really. Um, uh, 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 evolution uh, was evolution in in the in the country. Uh, well, about the illegal trade in Colombia, well, we have to go to to go back to the seventies, nineteen seventies. At that time, you know, it was legal to export, for example, jaguar skins, ocelot skins, other skins. Uh, crocodile skins by thousands you know it was legal and it was, it was part of the local economies and it was part of the country economy uh, and it was normal and it was important uh, for many communities and at that time uh, it was almost the same in all the latin american countries so all the the, the the population of these species that were that had any kind of interest economical interest elsewhere were declining in a very fast way and the, at the end of the 70s colombia started to 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 put regulations on wildlife trade and the first one uh, well they 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 prohibited the export of any kind of uh Life animal, life uh, species of wild animals or parts of products of, of them. So then, the the of course the illegal traffic started at at at, at, this, at the next day. So of course, when when the illegal traffic started, uh, it was it was it was understandable because there was a huge demand in countries from North America, Europe, and Asia on the species that were living in Colombia. And, you know, the market was open and it was, it was as, I, as I said, enormous. So when, when, the, when they forbid to, to, do the, to do it legally, of course, everything went into the illegal side. And the animals were, uh, of course, uh, uh, collected by thousands or millions. And 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 uh, the country realized that was there was a, a a problem, so they went they they went to to discuss and try to solve it by um, creating a regulation that that uh, was directed to create wildlife farming. 
focus on a few species of uh, reptiles and a few species of mammals, but uh, the, the regulations were uh, designed by people that, doesn't, that didn't have the, the experience of breeding them or, or keeping them or, or, or have any kind of husbandry guidelines. So the, it was really, really um, um, <clears throat> underdeveloped. So the people that have started to, to, to invest on wildlife farming, most of them lost all, them, all the money invested and they lost uh, most of the uh, interest in a few years. So in the 80s, you, you, you could see uh, almost 200 farms that were legally created in Colombia. Right now, there's, there's less than 30 uh, uh, wildlife farms that are still running. Most of them are for caiman skins. And of course, there's the Soros of Colombia. Um, the problem with the illegal traffic uh, in, the, in the last decades is that, you know, there's, there's too many uses for the biodiversity of a country like this. You know, there's two main uses. Uh, if, you, if, we, if we have in mind the, the destiny, one is the, the local use, and the other one is the international use. <clears throat> the local use is made by, um, by people that live in Colombia and that, that traditionally have been uh, hunting, poaching, collecting wildlife for different uses. From, from pets to traditional medicine or to, or, or to feed themselves. And this is, called, this is considered illegal. You, know, you need to have a permit in order to, to, get, uh, to hunt an animal, to get the meat in order to survive for your community. In some cases, uh, you, can, you can just... Uh, um, uh, have a license for uh, scientific purposes, stuff like that, but everything is licensed now. In the case of in the international trade, you have uh, a lot <clears throat> of um, groups of people that will uh, be interested in poaching. Well, I, what, I, what, I, what I said uh, to many people, whatever it moves, I mean, Everything is almost uh, interesting for the international market. Even very common species that, that are sent to countries in Latin America in order to be exported uh, as local. Um, and the, of course, the, 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 the poison frogs was, um, was always a very interesting group of animals that could be sent uh, in a really easy way uh, through the through the illegal uh, 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 commercial channels, you know. <clears throat> we we briefly touched on it before, but um, La Reserva Biopark. Do you want to tell us about the history of of, of that? Yeah, as I as I told you. Um, when I came back from United from United Kingdom and started to think about the the future of my work in Colombia, I, I thought, well, we have two different situations, as I as I said, the local 
smuggling and the international smuggling. So it is a very bad problem. There's a lot of people trying to work on conservation on protected areas. So this is not this was not my focus on on working on. I mean, I don't want it to create a lot of reserves and stuff like that. I said I'm going to work with people. I'm going to work with critical and endangered species. I'm going to work with education, and I'm going to work with animal welfare. I mean, to develop the guidelines nationally, which I did for many of the of the species that are commonly kept in captivity in Colombia. Uh, I did that for the National Ministry of Environment as a consultant 20 years ago. And since that, since then, I said if we create one farm that could stop the illegal uh, trade of one group of, of, of organisms like, like we did with the Soros, which should make another project that could stop the use, uh, the legal use in Colombia of these animals and show how, how difficult it is to deal with them once they are poached or taken out of their natural habitats. So um, I, I created the, the idea of the biopark, the tropical biopark, because I thought that the idea of the zoo, the traditional zoo, was uh, not the, the, what I had in mind. The idea of the tropical biopark came from, uh, from uh, actually from an American a researcher and that, that was called Michael H. Robinson, who was uh, the director of the National Zoo in Washington D.C. in the, I think in the uh, in the nineties, I think, and he wrote a lot of articles about his idea of creating a place that uh, hold and cave and 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 that could keep um, animals and plants together in a kind of uh, a holistic view for the visitors. I mean presenting the ecosystems instead of report or show of showing the taxonomy of life in the world, as you can see in, in most of the traditional zoos and botanical gardens. So if you put them together, you can you can have a better uh, experience for visitors and show them about the problems and threats to ecosystems instead of just focusing on one or two species. So I love I love this uh, this reading, and then I started to to think about the biopark. We are, uh, as as I told you, we we were living in Bogota. It's a ten million people city. It's huge, and uh, and uh, we decided with uh, with Sandy Sangin, which is a friend. She had this uh, farm located uh, eight kilometers, seven kilometers from from Bogota, and and she said, let's do it. Let's let's go crazy and start uh, build your dream. And uh, we you we know you know we 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 put all our effort and money on this. We um, I remember when we were uh, when we were building the bio park, which is a is a as I told you, it's a theme park, small theme park. Everything is on is is, is an immersion ex, uh, experience. Uh, I remember selling my car in order to build an aviary for an harpy eagle that was uh, uh, was looking to get a place to get relocated from the authorities. That we were like this, you know. And I was starting a family, and we 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 finally end up 
with the, La Reserva Biopark, which means the Reserve Biopark, because the, 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 the place in which it's located, it has uh, almost 20 hectare uh, mountain reserve of, of, uh, of uh, Andean, Andean forest. And um, we, we, <clears throat> we built uh, several uh, um, greenhouses that resemble the temperature of different areas or, or, or ecosystems of Colombia, and we put them there, some of the species of animals and plants, and we put some pathways through it, and, and it was really, really interesting because there was nothing like that in Colombia at that time. We, were, we opened La Reserva Biopark in 2008, and uh, we mixed the visit in between the, the, the area where the animals that were rescued by the authorities and were in the, in the, in the, the ecosystem representations of them, of themselves, uh, with, together with a visit to the mountain that was uh, being restored ecologically for, uh, uh, that, I, that I was telling you about, the, that is 20 hectare hectare, but the, with, the, with, the, with the history of that uh, uh, reserve was burned to ashes in 2007. Right before we started to work, everything was burned by a forest fire, huge one, and uh, we had to start building the, the the forest again by by means of using the ecological restoration, which at that time was a really really newborn science. And uh, we we were the leaders of this uh, of this uh, activity here in Colombia. Uh, we finally end up uh, restoring five hectares. It was a lot of money invested from us and. Uh, and, uh, and, and we also got the, the help from the Swiss government for, for doing three of them, for restoring three of them. And, you know, in, in, uh, as, as, as a result, uh, with, a, with a nice indicator, is that when we started, we only had 10 or 12 species of birds left in the reserve uh, that were attracted and living in there. And right now we have 80 species of birds, which is an incredible number for uh, for a high altitude uh, forest because we are located at uh, 2,600 meters above sea level. I don't know that how, how much is that in feet, but it's, it's, it's high in the mountains. Bogota is high in the mountains, and in the in the low area in the in the flat area of the of the land. There is located several uh, um, ecosystem representations, so, such as dry forest of Colombia, the low the low mountain forest of Colombia, the highland wetlands, the 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 uh, the rainforest of the Amazonas, uh, and stuff like that. And you can walk through them because all that is 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 built and you can you know go go and and, and meet a tucan an owl a, a tortoise um uh a parrot a macaws whatever animals that are located uh, in this uh, that, that that live in it you know, are distributed naturally in this ecosystem you can feel the temperature you can smell the 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 the, the characteristics 
uh, uh, others of these uh, ecosystems. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting place in terms of, uh, of uh, experience and education for the public. Everything is, is recycled. They build, uh, the, the, we, we had this uh, idea of building the first uh, reuse or recycled park in the, in the world. And, and uh, we have had, uh, we have received very nice comments on people about, uh, the, on people that are experts internationally on how to deal uh, with the, with, with, uh, we, to, to build a park without having any impact on the land we were, we were working on it. And by, and also the park has now has the, the, the support of the Colombian Air Force as they, uh, it was, uh, it was very interesting. They had as a symbol until 2016, they had as a symbol the bald eagle from North America. And right now they have changed that and they have the harpy eagle as a symbol and now they are helping and supporting us because we are we are managing the national uh, conservation program uh, for the harpy eagle which is the most powerful eagle in the world is huge and, and and we are trying to breed that species for the first time in the country um about this uh, well we we will have getting more supporters we the, the the park is run by a foundation an ngo a non non for profit organization um uh, sandy and myself have been working there for free uh, since the beginning we we haven't got any salary and we love to do that because it's our gift to the society more than i don't know hundreds of thousands of people have visited the, the place uh, during the years, most of them kids, most of them the next generations of Colombians, and I'm sure that the message that they get when they when when they visit the biopark is that there is there is a possibility of a good future of humans uh, living in balance with nature, because everything is dedicated to Colombia. We don't have any exotic species or African or North American animals in there. Only Colombian, and we want to see uh, if, after a few years, we ha we have you know changed their minds and attitudes, and of and, and hopefully behaviors toward conservation and understanding the, their role on on understanding the needs of the country in this term. So that that is La Reserva Biopark, and also of course it has been supported by Tesoros de Colombia since the beginning. Can you tell us about the development of Tes well? First of all, for the listeners who might not know, what what does Tesoros de Colombia mean? What's the translation? Oh, tesoros. Yes, the translation is the treasures of Colombia or treasures from Colombia. I mean, we wanted to to make um, uh, a name that will be you know respectful for uh, you know for, for for the country as you know. Since the beginning, the, the whole idea of creating a farm that will <clears throat> export animals legally was to, you know, to, to return the, the countries sovereign on their own um, biodiversity. Because when you talk about uh, illegal traffic internationally, the first thing that you are 
uh, dealing with is the sovereign. I mean, you you are losing what what you what you have uh, since the beginning of the country, because it it is it is uh, it is uh, this species, and of course, I'm talking about more uh, focus on the endemics. These species are owned by the country of Colombia, by the people of Colombia, and they have been permanently stolen from people from other countries for decades. So we wanted, you know, with the name to say, okay, here is the country, here is the treasures for everybody, but you need to respect the, 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 the legal aspects and you need to respect the country. This is why the name is part in English and part in, in Spanish, because the full name is the, the Tesoros de Colombia Sustainable Farm. So anybody can understand what we are all about. And how was Tesoros established? Because I, I remember when I when I caught your talk at Frog Day a couple of years ago, it was an interesting set of circumstances that led to the creation of Tesoros. Can you can you tell us about that and what went into its development? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah well, as I was telling you, well, Colombia is probably the the most biodiversity biodiverse country in the world per square kilometer. Only you know, only Brazil can probably have more biodiversity, but Brazil is like, what? It's like seven times larger than Colombia. But uh, the, the point is that Colombia has a, has a problem of development. I mean, in the last uh, 300 years, everything has been following the, the, the colonial uh, kind of development where, where everything needs to be Altered, uh, um, altered or uh, modified for the knowledge of the people. I mean, if they want to 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 grow crops or or cattle or whatever, they will take everything down. They will, don't. They 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 haven't been, you know, understanding how to produce food, how to produce um, welfare for the society using the, bio, by the the biodiversity, the local biodiversity, and the conditions that were uh, unique for for uh, for the geographical uh, loc location of the of the country if you visit colombia you can go really easy from the andes to the lowlands and you can go from a place in which you you can you are like in the permanently the whole year below 40 degrees fahrenheit the, to in one hour you can go and 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 face a place that is a hundred degrees Fahrenheit like this, you know, in in a in a road trip, two hour ride. So and it will stay like this, the temperature and the humidity will go from forty percent to hundred percent in two hours, uh, you know, by by road. So it is incredible the amount of 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 of, of variations on the weather, on the on the on the ecosystems. And everything was altered to become like the the typical European uh, um, landscape. So is this 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 uh, permanent fight against the diversity uh, have been there for 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 ages, you know, for 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 hundreds of years. So it's really difficult uh, to to deal with conservation. 
and, uh, and, and, and more, you know, start talking about sustainability and, 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 and make people understand that everything uh, can disappear if, if it's not uh, well taken care of. And, um, and uh, well, when, when we started with the Soros, we said, okay, there was three of us in the beginning, Three, three, three people interested creating tesoros. We said, okay, we have this idea of stopping the smuggling of one coveted species. How, uh, how, how we start with this? I was a consultant for the national ministry of several countries, and I was really, I really understand, at, understood at, at that time about the 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 legal needs in order to create a program like this and i said let's why what why what's the big problem here in terms of the group of species that are being commonly poached for the international market when i was in 1998 1999 i was the head of the bogota rescue and rehabilitation center for wildlife that was run by the by the, the the local authorities, and uh, that center was, of course, uh, designed to keep the local, the the, the normally and traditionally uh, poached animals. You know, at that center, we we, we had a lot of parrots, macaws, you know, parakeets, animals like that, that were normally taken out of the wild for being sold as pets. Also, monkeys. And then, uh, and then uh, turtles and tortoises, because those were the animals that were all normally uh, being confiscated by the, by the authorities and were sent to this center. And everything was designed for them. You know, of course, there was some. Sometimes you can get to see some some other birds, more mammals, and uh, but normally there was like seventy percent or more of the of the cases but in the 1998 uh, year when i was the head uh, they called me one i remember it was a sunday night and they called me from the in bogota international airport saying we got a big seizure of uh, dart dart frogs and i said what that was those were really really rare and I have, and personally, I it, it was I haven't seen one in in alive before. I went to the center, and then I then we got like four hundred uh, ophaga histrionicas and two hundred ophaga lemonade that were confiscated in the in the international airport, and we were of course, uh, you know, my team was you know like you know we were really surprised. We didn't have any kind of clue how to deal with such a finding because there, there, it was the first time we we, we, we could see the, 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 that amount of, of animals in one confiscation. And of course, we, we tried to do our best with them. Uh, we, we bought uh, 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 containers, stuff like that. We started to, to, to look for food. Well, as you can imagine, it was very hard time. Most of them, of course, sadly died, and in the next days, because uh, that center, of course, is located high in the mountain, so we have to provide the temperature and humidity, because here is fifty percent of humidity, 
So it was really difficult because we live far, very far from the from the forest where they where they are naturally distributed. And um, and uh, the worst the worst situation was that two weeks after that there was another huge confiscation of so, something like similar numbers for the same species again, again Faga lemani and Faga istronica uh, that came from the Risaralda department were confiscated again at the at the at the airport and everybody was like what is going on this is really strange. Why are these animals being left? Because they were confiscated by being left on a bag in the bathroom of the airport. They were not really founded by the authorities. They were like, you know, they, they were, uh, you know, at that time, uh, Colombia was uh, having a really bad security situation. And there was these, these bags left abandoned in the in the bathrooms of the airport. So people called and say, probably is that... They have. They need to check that out because it, it, you don't want to to see a bomb or something in there, and this is why they found it. But after a week, we also uh, were called because we had another uh, confiscation of fifty of agalemani that were that were in a some sort of con small container that were being that was being sent by a by airmail diplomatic airmail to Spain. Um, Interesting because there was different kinds of bags, different kinds of um, of packing of the frogs, and different kinds of uh, of, of size of the confiscations. But we end up with, with almost I don't know more than eight hundred animals that that were in our hands, and we were really we didn't know what to do. the The protocols and guidelines uh, were uh, strict. We were we, we we have just finished them and we were strict on the, the possibility of, of the destination for those animals and we couldn't just take them and 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 send them to to the Pacific coast of Colombia to be released back into the wild because at that time we knew that the amphibians could you know spread really nasty uh, microorganisms and so we had to keep them. At that time, they were they, they were not really popular in zoos, so nobody knew nobody knew how to deal with this uh, in term with this species in terms of husbandry. So it was really really frustrating. We 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 I remember my my staff crying about you know losing so many animals. That was really strange for us because we were we were the the top of the uh, of uh, of the. Uh, people of the country that knew about husbandry for wildlife. It was terrible. But after that, uh, when, when and, you know, uh, like seven years ago, we talking with the co-founders of Tesoros, the other two people that were involved, uh, we said, okay, we, we are not rich. We can deal with one group of animals that we can that we understand that are really in the center of the problem for the poaching. And that group is the dark frogs. So definitely we, we should, you know, start with this with this group and maybe move towards another to toward another ones once we finish uh, to to fill the demand and kill the, the illegal traffic. That's what we thought. And we thought 
okay, this is going to be maybe not easy, but it's, it's doable. And <clears throat> as we know that at that time, the, the prices were high, uh, were becoming high, and we we knew we knew that there was at least 10 projects for farming uh, poison frogs in Colombia that failed that failed in the 80s and the 90s. Why did that fail? Because the the difficulties of getting the license and being able to export. But in any way, we decided, okay, we are going to do it. So we you said we, we are going to be able to do that to do that without knowing that it was going to be a some sort of a nightmare to get the, the license and get everything done. What was the process that went into getting licenses and, and infrastructure? Because I, I feel like a lot of people aren't really aware of the the legal obstacles and challenges that go into being able to create something like this. How, how did that pan out in terms of getting licenses and developing an infrastructure and, and getting legal representation? How did, how did you manage that? Well, it was we 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 tried to get information about the rest of the projects that didn't came through, and we found uh, the best way to present it. And um, of course, I was well known by the authorities about being a leading conservationist and, and a consultant. But uh, and we did everything that was written in the in the in the regulations, and we started in two thousand five. Uh, by asking for the terms of reference and stuff like that, we presented everything on 2006. Uh, immediately, we felt like, okay, they are not going to cooperate because it's, this is too uh, too unique, too difficult to understand, too difficult to manage, and you know, uh, some so in some in some cases, people that are just in a in a position in which they have to understand perfectly what they are signing uh, for, they will be they will fear like they they will be in trouble if, if they don't understand what what they are they are um, approving. In this case, well, a, a frog farm is something really crazy out of nowhere. It seems like sci-fi, and um, they, we had a lot of trouble, you know, trying to convince. That this this was this 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 was the project that Colombia needed, and of course the the species and you know everything that you know now about it. So in two thousand six we presented presented the project, uh, but uh, we have uh, we had a lot of difficulties for uh, interpretation, and in two thousand seven after more than a year they they say okay. Maybe this is this is doable. Maybe you can yes yes you can you can uh, start a, a frog farm. And uh, in a year after that, they they finally gave us the license, but only on the experimental phase. The experimental phase is a is a license in which you can buy the land, build the build everything, get the staff and start doing all the experiments in order to present the results for them to uh, discuss them and find out if you can get the commercial phase of the project. I don't know if I'm talking 
you know, my English is not very good, so I don't know if 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 you're following the the, the face or stage. I mean, no, no, I, the, I, yeah, I, I, I understand completely. I mean, it's it's very it's it sounds crazy, but it's actually very similar to really anything that would happen here in the U.S. I mean, the the municipality that I live in, you know, you want to get you want to put up a fence in your backyard. It's it's a <laughs> It's it's a year long process, but um, yeah, I, I I totally understand. Please uh, please keep going. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, we got in two thousand eight, two hours, two two years after after asking for this. I mean, two years is a lot of time for just getting uh, getting a reply <laughs> because our 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 submission was completely. Was com was complete and and was uh, had everything that the that the regulations asked for. But anyway, um, finally we got the the experimental phase for the license, but only for one species of frog. And we asked them why for one species of frog, and they say it's because the other ones are uh, distributed far from our jurisdiction, from our um, our our area, because. You know, in Colombia, there are one national authority, but also there are 34 regional authorities. That means there's a lot of people that you have to 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 reach out and you have to uh, convince uh, that this project is good. So it's a, it's a very, very difficult situation in terms of uh, political handling. And so they said, okay, you are going only to have one species of frog. That species was the Dendrobates truncatus, which was the only species of poison frog that live uh, around the. Well, the curious thing is that the species doesn't live really close to the farm, but it lives like, uh, what, 40 kilometers from, or 25 miles from the, from, from the farm. Uh, is the natural distribution, but it's located under their jurisdiction. So this is why they they left. They they gave us the, the permit partially. After as you can imagine, we had to 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 invest on the land, the facilities, on lawyers, to 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 communicate with authorities because everything was through made through uh, letters and all kind of legal documents because that's the only way to deal with them you you cannot call them you cannot speak or discuss or invite them to to to, to see this so it's only until 2011 we got the experimental phase of the license but but um for the rest of the species that we were asking for we were asking for for seven species First the truncatus, and then uh, the, in 2011, I mean five years after starting, we they say, okay, you can bring in these species if you can get them. This these were the Dendrobates auratus, the um, the the Phagestronica, the Phaga levenai, the Philobates terribilis, the Philobates aurotenia, and the Philobates bicolor. So that was a problem. So we we said, okay, we we need. We have this license to get them in the wild, but we have to convince the regional authorities one by one. And we were talking about several of them. And, 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 and at that moment, 
there were still a possibility of getting them from Sus. By that time, in 2000, uh, between 2008, 2011, they, there were more confiscations and the Sus were the, the, the institutions that were keeping them. So it was relatively easily easy to get them from, from Sus uh, through agreement in order to, to play them in the, the future. So we got them from Sus and there was another uh, 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 farm, crop farm, that was almost, that was broke because they, they, they failed to get the commercial license for the frogs. So it was really good for us because the, author, the, local, the regional authority said, okay, if you are not going to go ahead with your program, you can. You need to send. You, you need to give me. Where are you going to send all your your, your frogs? Mostly uh, ophagas, and and they say, okay, we have been. Uh, we have made a deal with the with the with the Solos de Colombia. We're going to send the frogs there. So it was a you know it was a very good luck to to be able to receive those animals as parents for our project. Um, in 2012, we got the commercial phase for Dendrobates truncatus, Dendrobates truncatus, sorry about that, the pronunciation. Um, and finally, we were able to, um, to, to, to export some, some, some frogs. If you, if you can see here, we, it, it was six years of permanent investment of money and effort and work, and uh, we were exhausted. And in 2012, my the the, the other two co-founders, we were of course really broke. We owe a lot of money, and they said we are not going to go uh, go on anymore. So if you want to keep it, you need to sign an agreement in which you are going to pay us for what we have uh, invested. This is a very nice project, but Colombia is not ready for it. So. I signed the agreements and I got all the all the debts on on, on my shoulders, and I, I I I decided to to go one by myself. Many people said just leave it because uh, they say if you're going to 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 have a, to wait another six years in order to be able to export the rest of the species, there's no way you're going to be able to pay that. Also, if you if you remember. At the same time, I was creating creating the the biopark, and I was spending a lot of money over there. The money that I saved when I was an international consultant before, I was I was uh, raising a family, and, you know, young young. young I have two young uh, daughters, and it was really bad situation. I, I remember being in two thousand between two thousand eleven and two thousand twelve, really really weak mentally. I had a, I had a lot of, of, of pressure, and, and it was not very, uh, a very good years. But in um, in 2013, we I got the commercial phase for the Androbates auratus and the Philobates species. So when with this, I started to export. Of course, the the, the start of the of this uh, group of species was was the Terribilis. And due, uh, thanks to the help of uh, of the mostly the American hobby community, 
I was able to pay the first debts and, and, and keep the project alive. Uh, in 2013, I remember that I had the first um, group of donations. Mm, I want to uh, I want to thank again what Black Jungle did by you know creating the the SACAS. There was a meeting in, in Costa Rica for all the hobbyists and the uh, conservationists and the experts on amphibians around the world. They made an incredible a symposium in, in Costa Rica, and they and they raised some some funds that were gave, given to us, and this is and 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 because of this, it was it was in the low in my lowest point, personally, and I'm going and I'm going to be really thankful for all my life with them because that was like the break point in, in which I said, okay, I'm not alone, I'm going to finish this. We are going to prevail. We're going to be successful in the future. Um, uh, it was it was really uh, something that changed the history of the Soros. Um, and in 2015, we were breeding a lot of fufagas, and uh, our file was sent to the from the regional authority that had all these delays to the national authority because the national authority started to deal with the society's species. And incredibly, after six months, we we were granted the commercial phase four of Faga Stronic and Lemony. And and since then we were we have been paying the all the loans and, and debts that were almost half million dollars in 2015. As you, you, you as you see, this is not as a small uh, operation in terms of what the normal hobbyist could think we have uh, we have uh, right now we have a budget of more, of more than $12,000 per month why we don't need that budget in terms of the technical aspects or area or component of the of the farm but because the law we have to hire many people that normally won't be there, like two lawyers, like um, consultants of of every kind of uh, environmental uh, specialization. Uh, we have to, we have a, a staff of more than, we are now more than 12. Uh, and we have to, we have, uh, we have to give uh, reports about, you know, it's like 60 different points about the environmental impact that the Soros has just for breeding frogs on 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 different uh, facilities located outside the city it is crazy that's the story yeah that's the story so you're under a, still like a tremendous amount of i don't i don't mean scrutiny like in the negative sense but i mean here in the yes the the comparison I can draw is like, uh, for example, like the USDA Department of Agriculture determines standards for, for farm animals, chickens, you know, poultry, beef, etc. But at the same time, every farm is going to have to have visits from the health department or the building department, or whatever. So, I mean, there's so much more the 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 day to day logistics. I mean, do you manage all this yourself? I mean, do you have staff that manages uh, personnel and like? You know, how do you who oversees all the day to day operation stuff that's involved? Well, I used to I, I used to supervise everything by myself, 
And this is why I got exhausted. And, and you know, people that are that know me in the U.S. Uh, knows that I have been, you know, uh, putting a lot of effort. And definitely I was I was really exhausted uh, in the last year. So I had uh, now I have a, a person that that that, that uh, as a curiosity has the same name of myself is is called Ivan as well. Most many people know him knows him in in uh, because he go he visits uh, the U.S. with me when we went when we go to the American Frog Days, and he's he's taking uh, most of the uh, difficult part that is dealing with authorities because that's that's almost a full full uh, full time job to 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 respond the 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 the, um, the huge amount of reports and deal with the visits and deal with the you know all kind of comments positions and opinions of of the of the of the uh, authorities and also I have a, a, a other, uh, other people, you know, helping me with the uh, with the, the technical aspect, the husbandry, that are really skillful. They are really good. They are young. They are really energetic, and uh, they have been doing a great job. So there's there's the commercial part and the administrative part that is also uh, a problem. <laughs> but is but we have been, you know, growing uh, as a, we started three. Three, three people and now we are 12 and there's there's another three persons that are helping us from the outside apart from an office of environmental uh, impact consultancy that is that we have to hire as a as a uh, from the regulations we have as probably I, I i haven't said that but the license the, that we have to run Tesoros is called an environmental license here in Colombia and is granted for any kind of operation that can have a big impact, negative impact on the, on the, on the natural resources of the country. So we are located on the same side, on the same back with the oil big mining companies, all the um, big infrastructure projects of the country, like big uh, roads or uh, electric dams, whatever is huge, whatever can, can make a, 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 a natural uh, disaster, have a, a, an environmental license. Why farming frogs are there is because Somebody thought that wildlife farming was detrimental instead of an opportunity of, of solve the animals, uh, the, the species conservation. I mean, it's crazy that we have to hire the same amount of professionals as an oil uh, exploration and production camp. Can you imagine that? This is why Tesoros costs and um, an, an incredible amount of money every month in order to to deal with all these um, uh, requirements from not just the national authority but the regional authorities. It, it is crazy, and this is why sometimes I hear people complaining about the prices of the legal frogs, and I say, okay, well, first these animals are legal, 
Second, you are respecting the sovereignty of a country that has been uh, uh, been uh, stolen. Been st uh, the, the people, the, a lot of people have been stolen from it for decades. Third, you're getting a very big quality of, of frogs that are uh, guaranteed. Uh, fourth, you you are part of the of the people that are making the difference about about the morals of the hobby. And and five, you are everything is 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 uh, transparent. Everything is clear. You can you can check with the Colombian authorities, and you can see that the only people that are doing this in in something like this, I mean like like you know dealing with these uh, hobbies, with uh, live pets from Colombia are only us. And why is that? Is because we are not money oriented. We don't have, we don't, we are not saving money from this. We are not, you know, the, the, the amount of money that we get every year will go directly to keep the, the program running and the pay the debts from more than a decade that we accumulated. And, uh, and this is why we, we, we have to keep those prices. And even though we are taking them down every few years, we take at least at least 20 or 30 percent uh of the price down so 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 the the pressure on the on, on the wild communities of the frogs will decline and we will finally stop the collecting which is the the whole idea of the source how did you determine what constituted good foundation stock for the frogs i mean how did you decide I mean the 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 logistics of, of farming frogs. I, I'm I'm like to touch on that a little bit more. How do you decide? Uh, well, first of all, I know you said originally the the husbandry was was difficult because a lot of the species came from a different area and there was challenges getting them to survive. How long did it take to get to a point where you knew how to set these animals up, pair them up so that they would reproduce, and then have them pr produce viable offspring? I mean, it was for multiple species, but how how did that process come together? Huh. Well, it was uh, it was some sort of of getting experience with them. We we asked for uh, twenty five pairs for of each species to start. Uh, we got uh, only for a few of them. We got the twenty five uh, pairs as a parental stock. Uh, some of them we haven't got them all yet. We mm. We got the, the permit uh, in 2019 uh, to collect some of them to to you know to complete the parental stock, and even uh, to collect more in order to enlarge the operation because we presented to the national authority the results that were showing that we have really we have been really good on our goal or of stopping the the smuggling of the frogs. It's been you know declining a lot. So, it, it, so many people say even that the, the traffic right now had, had stopped globally, which we have to prove. We had we we have to research on it on this, but uh, there is people that know a lot about the the illegal trade that says that maybe the Soros have you know finally been successful in this in this on 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 this. Uh, um, on this uh, subject, which will be, you know, like a dream come true, you know, about the about about collecting more frogs, 
we have been having a lot of trouble with the regional authorities in order to be there and 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 collect the the that 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 we have on the license granted. Uh, it's you know it never ends the the amount of obstacles and difficulties uh, that we are facing, but we are keeping you know we will keep going in order to 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 find the the the, the best way to 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 attach the biocommerce and the sustainable use and the international hobby with the conservation and protection of the species in the wild. Uh, there's not too much that we can do about uh, bringing more frogs into the project because, as, as I said, even having the permit to collect these frogs, we are going, we are facing difficulties, real obstacles, pol uh, legal obstacles from the from the regional authorities that doesn't want us to go there and collect the parents, even though by the uh, it is it is uh, mandatory that we have to replace all the animals that we collect from the wild for the parental stock immediately after we start breeding them and we have to send a percentage of the frogs that we breed to be part of restocking programs that also we have offered to voluntarily uh, finance or fund or pay for that you know we don't have to do that, and we we want to do the the, the restocking of, of of endangered species such as lemony, but we have been finding a lot of trouble of from the local authorities to even accept voluntarily these animals after paying all the compensations that the law uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, that the law asks for 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 us to 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 pay. Do you attribute that to any one factor? I mean, is that just, is that a political thing? Is that a cultural thing? Is that a money thing? I mean, I, I, the way you've explained it to me, I mean, obviously we, we, we come from a, you know, a similar world, I guess you could say, because I have a positive impression of what you're doing because I understand it. But I mean, for the average politician, it, it should seem very, very straightforward. Look, we're going to harvest frogs from the wild. We're going to incorporate them into a breeding program. We're going to return some as part of the arrangement. And then we're going to sell some off to circumvent illegal trade. Why would why would someone say no to that? What was their motivation for, for giving you so much of a difficult time? Uh, I wish I know. Um, there's, we have been dealing with, you know, like, I don't know more than ten of these regional authorities that are ma that are uh, politically handled. I mean, they they are they are supposed to be technical, but they're more political. And uh, some of them will go will go like, okay, just come come here, take the the folks, and, and and let's do this. But some of them, uh, a pair of them, have been really really aggressive towards us, and I don't I didn't understand why. I mean. Um, in the beginning, they said, "Okay, that national authority is not legal. Uh, that this national authority will give you permits for collect animals on our jurisdiction, on our land." And I say, "Well, it is a national program. It's not a local program or a regional program." So the decrees are clear. They said that the national authority will take the decision and grant the, the license. I'm sorry if you are not. If you if you if you if you don't like it, but that's the law. 
And they said, no, we are going to stop it because we don't want you to come here and deal with our animals. And I said the same as you said. I mean, we are going to compensate everything. You're going to receive the animals. We are doing your job of saving species from, 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 um, from extinction by developing the guidelines and the husbandry. And you're going to get not just the animals, but the information if you want to breed them on one of your programs. But they say no. And they uh, even have, uh, they even put a lot of, of legal um, obstacles. All of them, of course, uh, were, were really easy to, to, to take down, of course. But still, there's a lot of money that we had to pay on lawyers in order to collect uh, more frogs for our program. You know, and, and I, what I see from my personal view is that ego and some other um, uh, interests can be involved on this. I don't want to, you know, discuss more than that, you know, because I don't have proof, but... But the thing is that they, they, they don't want us they don't want us to help them, which is a pity. This is why we we stopped dealing with the with the Fagale money program. We invested a lot of money, a lot of time. We offered uh, more than 15 frogs to be released, and we were uh, said, no, you're not going to be part of this. So we really we we. We quit the the Lemony committee, and we are going to focus on other species that are, are even more endangered, and nobody's working with them. You know, one of the things that comes to mind immediately is the the words wildlife trade or animal trade legal or not almost always has a negative connotation at least here in the u.s that that seems to be my thing i mean every time there's a news story about wildlife trade whether it's legal or not it it, it automatically has a, a negative you know a negative spin on it did you get any pushback from other environmental groups about this at all i mean w w did you have to deal with public opinion or was that was any of that dynamic involved <laughs> uh, well, I, I laugh because I have, uh, you know, I had this crisis in the 2011-2013 um, years. During the, that 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 time, it was a very bad situation for me personally, and it got worse in 2020. You know, in 2019, we got the, the national license to bring 23 more species into our facilities. I mean, frogs, birds and uh, some reptiles were granted by the National Authority because they said, okay, you are going to be some sort of uh, Noah's Ark for conservation because you are the ones that can deal with breeding and, and establishing an international uh, way to, to, to stop the demand and deal with the, with the international authorities because we, we, we have been you know, in contact with CITES internationally and we have been you know, setting uh, control uh, 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 ways to to deal with the uh, with the shipments that we send, like uh, starting an I, uh, an ID program for each frog that we that we that we send a, a, a anywhere. We we send the information to the site international site offices so they can follow up who's getting the frog, who's getting to to who's getting to keep the uh, keep them so there there's no. There's no washing of frogs of illegal frogs in there. Uh, 
So the national authority said, okay, you are the ones that should be working. You are good for the country. You should get this, 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 this license after four years of dealing with them, convincing them of the convenience of starting a big um, biocommerce project with uh, with the uh, with money that will be invested also on the communities that are living among these species in the in the in the wild so everything was okay and after a year they they found find out this these two um, particular groups they found out that uh, we were granted this and they sued the the resolution granted by, by the national authorities uh, saying that the species are so heavily poached in the past that getting uh, 10 pairs for this project of breeding in captivity will put them in, in peril and they could probably become extinct because of the project from the source. And we were like, what? Are you, are you, are you? Well, I, we, 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 we were like uh, incredibly surprised by this. We said, okay, we are going to work with us. We are going to send more animals because we, we, this is exactly what we don't want to happen. We are going to put more money from, from, from Tesoros and we are going to, 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 to look for international funds in order to, for you to understand that what we are doing is convenient and is necessary. And and it's in, and it's urgent, but they say okay. We don't want to work with us. We don't want to work with you. We 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 are going to work with our with our people. We are going to protect what is left. I mean, they were the ones that were working with this community, with these communities, with these populations of animals that are so low in this moment that are almost in the brink of extinction, but they don't want to 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 breed them or bring them into captivity. After failing in the legal uh, um, applications that they made, suddenly we 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 had to face a very uh, very nasty campaign of misinformation in the social media. That was in 2020, and there was I don't know, but it was uh, hundreds of messages against the Soros in Colombia, saying all of them saying that the license was uh, was uh, granted to Tesoros to go to the areas where the animals live, collect them, and immediately send them commercially to other countries, and repeat that until the animals were, uh, and until the species disappeared from the area. As you can imagine, that has that had a huge uh, impact on the social media people that will say, okay, this is not normal, this is not necessary, this is not good, this is just for for um, for money. We should stop Tesoros because Tesoros is the devil. So so we we couldn't get any 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 way to defend ourselves and we almost we and we got not just uh, um you know bad opinions about us but we got even threats so it was a really bad situation for us and for our, for our security because this m misinformation campaign said that we were going to collect animals until they disappear to be sold for 
uh, for uh, for money reasons. You know, uh, that was really really nasty, terrible, and 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 it had a profound impact of, on myself because I always consider myself a patriot, and and you know by working at the bio park. Um, uh, Ad honorem with a salary, you know, helping the, 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 always trying to help everything with, with my own money. It was, as you can imagine, if you put on my, on my place, it was terrible. It was really, it was, uh, very, very dark, uh, months in which I had to, you know, try to keep myself mentally, mentally healthy. Yeah. Ah, also. We got uh, a lot of um, opinions from people saying that, you know, they, 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 because it was uh, trending in the country, in Colombia, uh, all the media, the, the, the radio, TV, and, and newspapers were talking about this. Of course, they were interviewing the people that were not uh, interested in, in, in this to happen. And um, and uh, there were some some people from even from NGOs, large NGOs. I mean, talking about the the that the only way to preserve species is to do conservation in the in situ in their natural habitats, and the biocommerce should not exist. And that the law that permits the the the, there are uh, wildlife farming or breeding in captivity should be stopped and they have to review that because uh, all the hobbies involving animals should should uh, cease to exist you know it was incredible i mean we're talking about uh, a a high biodiversity country in which there are 50 million people most of them living in poverty most of them doesn't have uh, any 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 possibility of improve their 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 well-being but they live surrounded by incredible amount of biodiversity that is normally destroyed in order to grow any any cattle or any um uh monoculture project it's it's so sad to 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 be it's also to be surrounded with this kind of belief, but uh, we have been struggling for two years now. Uh, after this uh, attack, um, normally we don't have uh, more attacks anymore. This is why we we are not really working too much on our social media because this, uh, like I don't know what, like uh, fifty or sixty persons that attacked us. When it, this happened really bad, they, they made a really bad damage uh, on our image image here in Colombia. Even though that if you look for the Tesoros, the Colombia program in international media, you will always and only going to find the very best comments about it from the biggest media that exists in the world. But definitely in, in, in Colombia, these 50 or 60 persons, because we uh, we send these attacks to the to the to the authorities and they found that there was not nothing more than 50 or 60 persons attacking us by through social media and WhatsApp. So, yes, uh, it's been it's been really difficult. It, it's been really complicated since the beginning. It's been 
more than 15 years dealing with this. So yes, hopefully we can we can keep doing it with uh, with all, all all our motivation, all this passion, without uh, any more problems. You know, it's it's a shame that that happened, but unfortunately, it's not surprising. I mean, it it only takes one or two people to completely derail something that is on a steady and true course. I just feel like people don't really, people have lost touch with any ability to understand how something works that they don't, you know, that they're not immediately familiar with. And people will use any type of misinformation whatsoever to further their own ignorant agendas. I just, I don't understand what possesses people to do something like that. But, you know, you you are right. I, I remember seeing, I think it was a BBC News article about DeSoros, um, it would maybe about a year ago from w- when we recorded this. But um, I remember I was actually really excited. I, I, I sent it to Julio and he's like, yeah, I saw it. So, I mean, outside of Colombia, it, it should be reassuring that the, you know, public opinion is, is pretty favorable. I, um, I, I wanted to ask, though, what, what was... I mean, obviously, smuggling was, was a big industry that you had to compete with. I mean, did you, do you have to deal with any issues with, with smugglers? <laughs> well, uh, I, I call myself naive in terms of what, you know, from the conservationist point of view and the expert point of view of dealing with, you know, conservation of wildlife. Uh, you always think, okay, you have this threat, and this threat, you 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 never go ahead and identify uh, how big, who is involved, or how dangerous it is. You know, and when I started the project, I said, okay, we there's a demand, and there's only quite a few people, you know, coming and and taking the frogs, and 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 and, and that's it. So if we say even sell the frogs to them, they are not coming to to steal the frogs from us. But it's not that easy. I mean, there's a lot of things that are being illegally traded in Colombia right now. A lot of things, as you can imagine. And these things are sometimes managed by people that are not uh, hobbyists that want the the, the next nice frogs. So this is why... um, um, we found ourselves in a, in a difficult situation here in Colombia. Uh, so this is why we we we, we stopped uh, thinking about dealing with some of the species that were the focus of the of the of their attacks, like birds, for for example. We are not going to 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 work with them at least for now because we don't want to you know keep their attention on us. You know. I understand. I understand. Well, uh, I mean, we're going to pick this up more in the next episode, in, in part two. We're going to discuss the present and what you're up to as of now, as as of 2022 going into 2023. Um, I mean, since we're at the end, though, is there anything that you wanted to add about the past and the foundation of Tesoros before we, uh, before we break? And then uh, we'll head into episode two next time. <clears throat> yeah, again, I want to thank all the, the hobbyists that have uh, helped us in the past. I mean, I, as I said, in 2013, it was uh, the breakpoint in which I was uh, 
even thinking about just leaving Tesoros like that because we were all completely broke, uh, owing a lot of money, and and the and the American hobby came to us and said, okay, well, you're not alone. You, we are going to help you. And many people donate, even though we Tesoros at Tesoros we were not a foundation. We we have even received donations uh, um, a year ago for our projects that we will uh, describe in the future in of the of the series. But the thing is that I want to help them. I want to sorry. I want to thank thank them all for their help. It's not just money. Is 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 a in, in very important support uh in the uh for the for the project but is even more important for the mental health of the founder i mean myself thank you thank you guys for all that you have done in the past for us well that's good to hear it's good to hear all right, everyone, like I said, this is going to be a three, you know, a multiple part series. And we've heard the past. We've heard a really amazing story about all the work that Ivan has done so far. And uh, I feel like he's deserving of way more credit than I could I could even imagine to give him. But um, I want to thank Ivan for, for doing the first part with us. And I want you guys to stay tuned. The second part, we're going to talk about the present efforts that are happening with Tesoros and conservation. We're going to elaborate more on the idea of conservation through commercialism. And um, I hope you guys stay tuned for that episode. Like I said, this is going to be, I think we're going to be doing a three-part series actually with this. So um, I hope you guys took a lot away from this. And I want to make sure that everybody stays up for the next episode coming up soon. And I will catch up with you guys again next time.